You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute.
So I, I'll thank the hub, I'll thank Gene, I'll thank uh, Dr. Nicholas Green. Without them, I would not have this uh, dream fulfilled. Well, uh, I have, uh, the, today's lecture is uh, more or less a kind of open-ended, because I, I don't lead, this doesn't lead to a kind of conclusion uh, uh, as to, this is what is, I, I'd rather please uh, make rather certain uh, snippets to have a glimpse at how this uh, literature itself is reflecting on the act of reading. It's a kind of uh, the mirror reflecting on itself. So, uh, and I have given you, uh, uh, would, 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 would you please uh, take these, uh, Francesca? I've given you a handout because uh, I have used many Bengali words and I've given, I've broken up those words and given uh, English renderings so that it's easier for you to understand what the words mean in text. Uh, well, I start. In Rabindranath Tagore's short story, Poila Nambur, that is the house number one, the speaker speaks of his addiction which is books. He declares that the sacred motto of his life is, within quote, borrow in order to read books as long as you read or even you don't read, unquote. The speaker used to read publishers' catalogs when he did not have the means to buy books and narrates the story of an uncle-in-law of his elder brother who used to buy books indiscriminately, that is, he bought any Bengali book, it's particularly my focus is on the reading of Bengali books, uh, that was published and stacked it in his bookcase whose key even his wife did not have access to. In fact, he walked under the belief that wealth, life, careless man's umbrella disappeared, but not even a single volume of the Bengali book could be dispensed with. So possessive about books. In this lecture, I shall draw upon other examples from Tagore's works, but before that I do, I would like to have a glimpse at how Tagore himself read his books. He was a voracious and discriminating reader, and he annotated and marked his books well. I shall cite one example how his reading walked into his fictional world. Tagore, like all of his class in colonial Bengal, read Emil's journal with great care. Emil's journal, Emil was a philosopher uh, located in Geneva, and uh, one of the late 19th century um, uh, important philosophers, and he was a speculative uh, philosopher, uh, moral philosopher. So, and his journal is the most, it's called intimate journal, his journal is the most uh, intimate uh, record of his own thoughts and ideas. In his famous novel, Ghore Baide, 1910, that is, uh, sorry, 1916, Home and the World, much praised by Yates and subsequently made into a film by the Oscar Award winner, uh, Indian film director, Satyajit Ray, Tagore draws upon Emil's meditation on the idea of the gentleman. This idea of the gentleman is very important in Bengali culture because in Bengali we have a word called Babu, which is actually a gentleman of the middle class, educated, but not so well off financially. But there were other people who were also uh, well off financially. The novel is set against the backdrop of the Swadeshi movement in Bengal. Swadeshi would mean indigenous, literally indigenous, but had much affinity with Sinn Fein and Jen would be interested because there were. Uh, but during the Swadeshi movement in 1905, there is uh, a book in the National Library of India where there are records of the newspapers speaking of Sinn uh, Féin and the Bengal Swadeshi movement. We ourselves and also the uh, uh, Bengal revolutionaries uh, chanting the slogan, we ourselves. Uh, that followed the partition of Bengal in 1905. The protagonist of the novel, Mikhilesh, is a landlord of refined taste and has been brought up in English education. There are references to Nikolish reading the Emil's journal in the novel, but what I want to point out is Tegor's marking of his own copy of the journal has to do much with what is given in the novel. My conviction is strengthened by the way Tegor marks a key passage, which is worth quoting at length. Emil's entry of uh, 9th, uh, 6th April 1886 reads. So, uh, uh, should I read out this passage? Or you can. Uh, 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 uh. Now, from this entire passage, this, this cuts short out of time. There is also a second relevant entry uh, of this. I'll, I'll come back to this passage again. 
So I sent you a book? Yes, there it is. And you see, these two passages are about the idea of the perfect gentleman, ideal gentleman. Who is a gentleman? He has certain virtues, certain qualities. Now, in the first passage quoted above, uh, quoted earlier, I'll go back to the first passage again. Yeah. Tagore leaves unmarked the portion, such an idea to the country of women. Such an ideal. This part is not, not, uh, uh, what do you say, marked by Tagore. So he marks part, and then again, the second part which I showed. This part, why? The reason is clear, for it characterizes the English and is not applicable to an Indian character. So this is how he marks his books. However, any reader of Ghorebhaile would retrospectively find that Nikhilesh muses on his own situation. He feels betrayed and also understands that Shundi, who is a revolutionary, and the Bengal partition was a hotbed of two kinds of politics. One, the pacifists, other, the revolutionary. Two kinds of politics. is a fraud. And Tagore was a pacifist. He did not believe in revolutionary politics. But he carefully hides his thoughts, thus Nikolaj hides his thoughts, because it is not in his character to hurt others. It is also, so Nikolaj is actually uh, almost born out of, would seem out of Emil's journey. It is also against a sense of decency to vent his anger uh, either on Bimala, his wife, or on Sandeep. Engels' ideas of ideals are perfectly reproduced in these traits of Nikolish. These acts of self-restraint also require self-discipline and self-mastery, which Engels traces and which also Tagore stressed in many of his essays he wrote on the partition. Strangely enough, although Nikolish feels that Sandeep is ruining his private life by having an illicit affair with his wife, he does not ask him to leave. Only once does he attempt to restrain Sandeep, but Bimala does not allow that. Nikolesh, however, does not protest against her action. When he perceives how Bimala is moving away from him, he reconciles himself to the situation. And I quote one line, I have no use for that falsehood. If that day comes, I will not protest. Slowly and silently, I will move away. So you can uh, correlate between Emil and what Tagore writes. The text is overspread with such musings and personal sufferings and afflictions, and Nikolesh unswerving faith in truth by which he withstands them. Here it is easy to discern the deep link in the novel between Ghorebaide and Emil's journey. Part 2. In the history of the book, it is the author who holds the most in dominant position. The reader appears only indirectly or in a more subdued form in oblique reference to the distribution and consumption of books. However, readers are a significant factor in the book market since it is their choice which determines the sale of books. At the same time, education and culture in the form of journals, libraries, literary conferences, and mixed literary criticism and book reviews are responsible for constituting the taste of the reader. The history of the book in Bengal is not a much researched area, and much about it still remains shrouded. Yet factors which have been responsible in constituting the reading public elsewhere, particularly in the West, are also evident uh, in the history of the Bengali book. One of the major contributions made in this direction that is, in creating the taste of the reader, is the journal Bongo Darshan. It's the philosophy of, or the vision of Bengal, to be in literal translation. Founded in 17, 1878 by the formidable 19th century writer and intellectual you have it in the handout. Bongsim Chandra Chattopadhyay, 1838-1894. In the inaugural issue of the noted journal, Bongsim Chandra addressed his readers thus, and this is the passage. Uh, you can see, so there is a there is a kind of paradox that there is a popular readership and there is a learned writer. How does the learned writer address the popular readership? Because otherwise the uh, readership will fade away. But what was thought? Should I proceed? But what was thought was not easy to achieve. Critical questions naturally cropped up, while the journal claimed that there were at least one million readers ready to read. The question that it faced was, who would write for them? Writers would be grown from the learning class, but only those who knew, knew how, to, uh, how the ordinary people thought and felt. In other words, a writer could be considered a writer if he could appeal to the general reader. The writer thus had to assume a dual role, one who could reach out to the popular imagination, while at the same time constitute the taste of the general reader. 
it was this paradoxical situation in which Sharad Chandra Chattopadhyay, you have it uh, probably in your uh, handout, 1876 to 1938, the foremost of the popular modern writers in Bengali. So there is a difference between the classic writer and the popular writer. I, I'll speak about that. The early modern Bengali novel is dominated by three of the Bandhavadhyays. You'll find there in, in the note on Tarashankar Bandhavadhyay. Vibhuti uh, 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 Bhushan, Manik, and Tarashankar found himself in. However, it was Rabindranath Tagore who assured his younger contemporary that though he was catering to the taste of the crowd, he had a very expansive knowledge of the life of the people. So this is so uh, an endorsement, uh, consolation from Tagore was a great reward for Sharachandra. <coughs> Sharachandra is not a is not classed as a classic, but a writer of immense human experience who wrote in a language of the people and gained very wide popularity. He was really a writer for the mass readership that the Bangladeshian was trying to create. One of the paradoxes in the culture of print is that there is recognition for the author, that is for one endowed with the power of writing. But we do not hear of any recognition for a good reader. In the world of books, it is reading the ability to read which should get equal importance as writing. This is what I feel. In fact, the ability to read does not or should not presume the ability to write. The presence of the reader in the world of books is thus a natural phenomenon and does not require any special attention. It's, so it seems. The practice of reading in Bengal in late 19th and early 20th centuries followed a variety of uh, trajectories, and, and it would be interesting to note how writers saw it. An interesting description is from the modern writer Olaita Mukhopadhyay's novel, Jungle. So, so this is an excerpt from the novel. So the, he's reading a novel and then and also having a cigarette and then uh, the ash bends down and then once he tries to shake it off uh, and it falls on the book and then once he tries to throw, uh, shake off the, the ash, the candle goes out. And this is his reaction. So he's as an absorbed reader. Do I proceed? Yeah. The example shows that the reader is not only a very attentive reader, reading is a great pleasure for him. We do not know what the reader is reading, but he is absorbed in his book, and it would be very easy to presume that he is not reading anything as serious as the scriptures or philosophical texts, but a novel. The author gives us a detailed description as to how, uh, as to how his character, irritated at the blowing out of the candle, felt restless, and having found means to rekindle it, completed the novel. That the book was an addiction to him is learned later, when he admits the fact that since he had had no wine throughout the day, the book had served as a substitute. So the book becomes a substitute for the wine. <laughs> it's an addiction. The reader mentioned just now is educated, in fact a beneficiary of English education. He belongs to a class that can read. In India, the earliest examples of writing are the Ashokan inscriptions of uh, very ancient times. The emperor knew that all his citizens could not read, but those who could would disseminate his messages among the illiterate. Thus, along with the ability to read, appeared another feature, reading to others. Initially, priests performed this function, but they limited uh, themselves to reading to others matters related to religion. In course of time, appeared rendering minstrels, storytellers, Bhart, Bhart is actually a kind of storyteller, and so on. Thus, the act of reading gradually grew more complex. If you allow me, I shall add here an Irish parallel which I have found in the Oxford History of the Book in Ireland, Volume 5. Reading to others, particularly those who could not read, was, was also customary in Ireland in the early, mid, early and late 19th century. School teachers read out newspapers to laborers in the school. Sometimes reading out to equals was also in vogue, particularly because books were expensive and not easy to get. This also saved expenses on life. Further, children would read out to their parents who could not read. Now, uh, today I had a very beautiful expression from Declan Kuyper. He said that don't say we should not say illiterate. They're oral illiterate. So oral culture versus written. So it, it was a revelation for me. Just now, just just uh, half an hour back. My third thought. Let us look at a few lines from another story, Shoilobala Ghosh uh, uh, Jaya's short story, Sheikh Andu. You will find that uh, Sheikh Andu, the name, suggests that he is a Muslim. And India. Muslims are less educated than Hindus. This is this is what is the problem because they are seen as both uh, uh, um, socially deprived. Now, uh, Sheikh Andu is a driver. He is not supposed to read. He is not expected to read. 
but she reads. Reading is an addiction for me. Shiv Andu is a driver, son of a tailor. He can read. He tries to read books late at night by burning oil lamps. His friends are geeked. Why should we? Presumably none of them can read, nor do they feel the urge to do so. So a society that is illiterate, that is a society which gives no importance to the written text, gives no value to reading as well. And a society which is divided between those who can and those who can't read, the reaction of those who can't would naturally be one of irritation and indifference. But one who reads, particularly one who socially belongs to the class of literates, is naturally of more independent mind. Such a person is naturally drawn to a different course, its readers can even proclaim their own individuality and even declare their views that are not of their class. The ability to read cuts across classes. In Tarakampur Bandhavadhyaya's novel Kalindi, we encounter, Kalindi is actually the known, uh, name of a place, uh, complex situation. I'll quote two lines, it's not here. Ohindra was in his study. Having inserted his finger inside a packed book, he was listening to Manoda's reprimands with a smile. This is a very small book. Ohindra is an educated young man belonging to the aristocracy, while Manoda, his housemate, is an illiterate woman. We wonder why an aristocratic youth should listen to the reprimands of his housemate. There is no implication of any illicit relationship. Manoda is right in her reprimands, since it is on this day that Ahindra's marriage should be consummated. Manoda does not merely reprimand Ahindra. Uh, she asks a very pertinent question. The question is, what sap do you find in those meaningless scribblings? Because she is illiterate. We have seen that Sheikh Andu has uh, designated reading as a kind of addiction, and also in uh, Balai Chandmukhavadhyay's story. Manoda has also observed that inside those meaningless scribblings, there is some kind of sap, a kind of pleasure. These are the responses of the illiterate. We are not given the title of the book, but its author is Karl Marx. A fat volume of Marx could easily be the capital. The irony is that Ahindra should absorb himself in such a book on a day like this. And we may presume the reason why Ahindra takes the reprimand of his housemate rather in good humor. But the struggle between those who can and who can't read is more complicated than is generally thought. For this, I shall shift to another example. See, this is for a woman, for a young girl. She wants to read, but she is prevented. She has no access to reading. The heroine of this short story by Tagore, Meg Orodro, literally translated as cloud and sunshine, is a young girl, Giribala. Her brothers went to school and troubled her with innumerable questions. She had proposed to her brothers that she too would read, but the proposal was turned down. Therefore, despite being different in terms of class and economic standing, Giribala is hardly different from Manoda in Tarashankar uh, Bandhavada's uh, story. She is a housemaid. Giribala is actually belongs to an upper, cla uh, upper class, but both of them actually are classed together. Both of them are deprived of reading. Therefore, despite being uh, different in terms of class and economic standing, Giribala is hardly different from Manoda, the housemaid. But Giribala is drawn towards the meaningless scribbles on paper which appear to her like a mysterious fortress. If she can enter it, she can unravel the mystery, but there are watchmen all around her to stop. They act as barricades, a barricade of illiteracy that inevitably deciphers the signs of the, on the pages. But the greatest barricade is society which has made women's ability to read a taboo. There is one relationship between those who can and can't read uh, in, uh, in the relationship of Ohindra and Manoda. But there is another relationship which is vividly portrayed by the author, that between Giribala and Shoshibushan, who is the hero of the protagonist of the story. While the act of reading creates distance between Ahindra and Manoda, it is reading which brings Giribala and Shoshibushan closer. See. I have put two because they are very close, so I keep this. See, Giribala is watching Shoshi Bhushan reading. She watched the young man not for the sake, not for his sake, but watched him because he would be absorbed in his books. And since to her the written words and the young man were one, watching him was a kind of implied reading. As the author observes, this is a second quote. The question remains, is or isn't she too a reader? Is Giribala, Giribala a reader? Because she is watching another person closely who is reading. Not, that, not for the sake of the person, but for the sake of reading. 
Such an example of reading is rare in Bengali literature. I refer to watching, seeing, in fact, reading and seeing are inseparable acts. We may say that reading is pronouncing a written text. Transition may, may not be the right word since we, we can and usually read silently, but in order to read, one must have a written text. Therefore, reading is actually changing writing into another form. For example, when someone recites a poem or when actors speak on the stage, they do not read but recollect from memory uh, if they do not improvise. What we recount from memory is not reading. Reading is an act which is something visual, something that has to do with observation, with seeing. So speaking and reading are completely different since speaking is not dependent on the eye. But in Bengali, the word reading has many connotations and so watching becomes less important in many cases. For example, in religious rituals, the priest utters the mantras, which are mantras are actually uh, 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 words of propitiation to the God. For example, in religious rituals, the priest utters the mantras which are repeated by others. He generally utters the mantras from memory. However, sometimes he may read out of manuals for performing worship, and others have to follow what he reads. Another factor in reading is listening. In pedagogical practice, reading aloud is much appreciated, but there are examples when such pedagogical practices become the part of ridicule. For example, in one of Sharachandra's novels, Borovidi, Borovidi, you heard that, The Elder Sister, 1907, there is a scene where a young girl of seven sits down to read, she is instructed to read the English expression, do not move, and then given its Bengali equivalent. But she cannot make the difference and continues to memorize the two expressions. So this becomes a kind of fun, a kind of uh, mild sarcasm. Uh, however, loud reading may not be mechanical in that sense, but there, there was a practice of group or public reading in which the reader read aloud to others. But even in private reading, we may read aloud in order to get the music of an expression or so. In such cases, reading and listening become intimately related. We sometimes read aloud to get the music of the text. In India, public reading was long-established practice. People listened to the epics, Ramayana and Mahabharata, being read aloud. That is why women more than men were accustomed to practice of reading and being read too. This does not mean that since women were unable to read, they listened. Since the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th centuries, reading aloud within the family had become standard practice among the educated section. Shorna Kumari Devi, 1855-1932, she was actually an elder brother of Rabindranath Tagore and they were a very illustrious family. All the 14 children of, uh, of, of Rabindranath Tagore, that is Rabindranath's father, were extremely accomplished, great philosophers, great writers, musicians, and so on. The sister of Rabindranath Tagore, has noted that her mother would carry a book in her hand all throughout the day amidst the daily course. Often the sons would be summoned to read to her the Ramayana or the Mahabharata in Sanskrit, not in Bengali translation. Since Chandrakumari learned to read, reading to her mother was one of her regular duties. In fact, reading aloud or reading to someone was often seen as a kind of leisurely pursuit. I shall cite one or two such uh, literary examples. In Tegos' novel, Chokher Bali, translated as A Grain of Sand, 1903, Mohendra says, today evening, this is a short expression, uh, I have no engagement, so I thought that I would read a book with Bali. Bali is uh, the other girl. Vinodini replied, sister-in-law, that would be fine. Today evening, both of us shall come up to brother-in-law to listen to him read. So listening some, to someone reading. In the novel Choturongo, Quartet, 1916, also by Tagore, we find the elder man reading out a story of Scott to others. In Jyotirindranath uh, Tagore, Jyotirindranath was an elder brother of Rabindranath Tagore. Memo, uh, memoir, we find that he used to read to women of the house French stories in translation. No, he would translate from French instantly. That is marvelous. Not, not the translated text, to translate from French as he would read. In the highly educated families of our period in Bengal, we find a new form of relationship growing up centering on the reading of books. Sometimes it was not the linguistic barrier that led to reading out in translation. Sometimes women would ask for explication of texts. For example, in Tagore's novel, Gora, and Gora is an Irish character. 1910, Shucharita, the heroine, is seen as approaching her father with a request that she not only read aloud, but also explain to her the book of immersion he was reading. In another example, from Sharachandra's Brihodaho, translated as The House on Fire, 1919, we find that Binapani was reading out to Achula a short story out of a magazine. Achula was uh, uh, recoiled on a cane cot, and she was only half listening. 
Here we have two different kinds of listening and so two different kinds of reading because of the difference in relationship of the reader and the listener and also the intellectual curiosity and the ability of the listener. In the latter example, that is in Sharad Chandra's story, the listener is certainly not a hostile listener but listens out of custom whereas in the former example where the relationship is that of father and daughter, the solitary and silent reading is transformed into a collective reading and reading becomes accompanied with speaking through explanation. The principal cultural value that enabled the construction of human self in the late 19th century and early 20th century uh, was the ability to read, the desire for books, and it is this virtue that endeared her uh, um, uh, female character, particularly her wife, to her male companion and made her a respectable partner in life. Since the late 19th century, reading had opened up many possibilities to the educated classes from leisure to self-discovery. But there was another form of reading for the newly educated Bengali middle class. Shorna Kumari Devi in her novel, Pahaki, that is to whom, 1898, gives a very vivid description. See this description. The woman is reading middle marks. And, and uh, I, I'll just add, you know, in uh, uh, late 19th, 20th century Bengal, Molly Corrin was the most popular reader. And even in Victorian England. The possessive effects of books have long been uh, a technique of writers of romantic novels. There are umpteen number of novels where the complexity of lockdown men's and women's minds is refracted through reading. The technique was introduced by Bunkin Chandra in novels like Durgesh Nandini, you have the literal translation of that, 1865, and Chandra Shekhar, 1877. But Tibor added a psychological dimension to it. Reading became an allegory of conflicts and doubts and of the complexity of human relationship. In Chokir Bali, we find, I have mentioned the date early, we find how developing the relationship of Mohenjo and Asha, Tibor gives a long description of their reading together. With those nuanced descriptions, the reader is able to discern Asha's simplicity and also Mohenjo's desire to bring Asha closer. It is through reading that the husband, wife, and wife comes closer. It is also the reading of books to which Tagore exposed the relationship of Binodini and Mohenjo in the same story, in, in the same novel. On one occasion, Mohenjo enters the room to find that Binodini is reading a book. He snatches away the book to find that it is Bonkin Chandra's Bishobritko, that is the poison tree. And the pause, in poison tree, the hero actually loses the, uh, the, the heroine because he is addicted to reading and ultimately burns his books. We also find how books and reading play a more significant role in Gora. In this novel, Shucharita is found reading alone the imitations of Christ. Uh, she the, reads because she has been influenced by her father to read religious texts. This reading has not been prompted by her own choice to read. She reads that desires may be controlled. Interestingly, two other characters in the novel, Haran Babu and Gora, are nothing but two different books to Shucharita. People become books. When she decides that she will marry Haran Babu and join the activities of the Brahmo Shamaj, the Brahmo Shamaj was actually a, a breakaway group from mainstream Hinduism. They were uh, Unitarian, they were more uh, influenced by the Unitarian church, and the Brahmos had almost a Protestant-like church uh, foundation. They, they were mon monotheists, did not believe in uh, customary Hindu practices, rituals, and so on. And they were highly intellectual, but it was a small group, small uh, coterie. And not not mm, anything I have done in my book, nothing like the Protestant ascendancy in that sense. She studies Brahmo writings as part of her duty. But as she reads them, the face of Gora surfaces out of those writings. The figure of the person endowed with the power to oppose. Gora thus becomes the image of a book. It is the collected works called Gora that ultimately triumphs in the novel because Shocharita decides to marry Gora. On one occasion, when Lalita enters, Lalita is her uh, Shocharita's sister, she hides away a book. What book is it? It is a book written by Gora. This is the secrecy of her love for Gora. She is reading a book written by Gora. She is reading a book. If narratives have a secrecy, as Frank Carmont said, then there is also a secrecy in reading, perhaps. The secret reading unravels the secrecy of narratives. We have seen how women were deeply interested in books since the late 19th century when print culture and the publication of books in Bengali gained a footing in Bengal. And it is at this moment that reading of books, a particular kind of book that uh, went under the rubric of romances, became a prohibition for young people and particularly women. 
In fact, women were asked to read only religious literature. It was men who determined what women would read. It was men who wrote books fit for women to read. Let me give here an Irish example. There are close parallels. And this is, you see, the second one, the second one is, was published in 1799. And I think uh, I'd be right, uh, uh, Jane uh, probably said a thing. Because it comes close on the hill of the 1798 revolution. You see, this, is, this has more political implication rather than, but then you can take it in also the same way. This I have gathered from also from the Oxford uh, history of the book in Ireland. The second one has more political implication, isn't it? Am I, am I right? Probably. Uh, men even chose what women should read from amongst published books. In Tagore's short story, Mukti Upar, that is the way to freedom. Hoimavati, the heroine, wants to read Bonkim's novels, and some of Bonkim's novels, like Chandrasekhar, Durgesh Nandini, they were they were a taboo because they were romances and different kinds of reactions would be uh, emerge. But her husband insists that she should read the Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is the Bible of the Hindus. In the story Kotha, a Khata, that is the exercise book, the husband, Piyari Mohan, is anxious at the learning of his wife since he knows that once she starts reading novels and plays will be imported into the house and then it would be difficult to maintain the customary family norms. Such anxiety was felt in 18th century England and Ireland when novels became popular and numerous. As in England, also probably in Europe, so also in Bengal, warnings against the damaging effects of the novel on the body and mind of females were endemic in the 18th century and long afterwards. But there was also stiff resistance in the story Alik Babu, that is the dream Babu, I say the Babu is actually literally translated as a gentleman. From Akunath uh, Chaudhuri, the, uh, the female character Hemangiri tells her illiterate housemate. This is the impact of the novel, the, in, the novel makes on women, women readers. See. So they would discard Ramayana and Mahabharata, the epics, which were a kind of moral instruction for women, they would be discarded and they would read novels. Now there are many problems in this. Should I proceed? Yeah. In the first uh, the first is that the reading in which uh, Hemangini finds pleasure concerns men. Moreover, Hemangini thinks that novel contains such knowledge that it would surpass uh, the reviewed ancient epics. This would naturally subvert not only the high canon of literature, but also the intellectual protocols to which women are subverted. The Ramayana was meant to teach women the virtues of purity through the image of the Sita. Sita is, uh, in India, particularly in Hindu tradition, Sita is the image of the perfect wife. Now, if women were to abandon that ideal, it would mean a challenge to the very structure of patriarchy. Further, Hemangini says something more disconcerting, uh, disconcerting her wish to teach the housemaid how to read. So people of lower caste should not be taught how to read. That would spread discontent and the image of the ideal woman, the ideal wife, loyal to the husband and bound to the hearth and home would be disrupted. This naturally would not be tolerated by men. Hemangini is the first example in Bengali literature of the possible disruptive effect of reading Bonkim's novel, Durgishnambini. It's about the heroine. Through her wishes, and, and it's a, also a story of passionate love. Through her wishes, the author vents the agony of men at the subversive effects of that novel. There is also the classic example of the modern woman writer, Asha Devi, 1909 to 1995, the novel, published in 1867, it is a landmark novel in Bengali, where the heroine reads Tagore's Prabhat Shangit. They were a new kind of romantic poems written by Tagore, even before he came to write the Gitanjali and other poems, which her husband denounces. See, this, this passage has to be taken. You, you cannot read even romantic poems. Should I proceed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here, man does not stop woman from reading, but wants to determine what she should read. We have the history of women's reading, where we find several restrictions imposed on women. That is why it is often found that women read secretly, read novels secretly, and it has also been the practice in the West. But this secrecy has a freedom of its own, a pleasure, a sly pleasure, and 
negating homing power, its sly civility, its sly pleasure of violating inventions. Nidralabad, think of this pleasure of the text. Thank you. I, I, I think it has not been 40 minutes. No, 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 you're absolutely on time. We have got some time for some questions. Yeah. People have, have questions. Um, I kept thinking of Irish uh, analogues and so on in what you were saying. Uh, there's a lovely passage. I've been doing some work on McGahern, and uh, he's got, he's, he's got a, 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 an essay on the pleasures of the reader. And he describes how um, he was the oldest in his family, younger sisters and so on. He said that he, he was so absorbed, I was thinking about your passage with the, with the cigarette ash uh -huh. and so on, he was so absorbed in reading that his, his sisters one day tied his shoelaces together and he was completely <laughs> unaware of it because he was so absorbed. So reading is a kind of, it's really a kind of addiction. Right. So, you know, what, what I, I actually think is that this reading of books, particularly reading of literature, and I have not explored that reading of banned books. This reading of literature, particularly romances and uh, by violent passions, so on and so forth, or by revolutions, uh, revolts, so on and so forth, uh, it actually shows some of the uh, relationship, what, what society thinks. And I think it is sheer that literature uh, matters more than any other kind of written text. Yeah. Um, Not a difficult one? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, here's, I, you know, I'm wondering, have you looked into uh, paintings or artwork of people reading? And if there was any change over time, and, and the reason I'm asking is I'm thinking about uh, in the British context, around the time of the American Revolution, in the pre-revolutionary paintings, they often show women sitting. Women well, sitting around, and uh, women sitting, yes. With, with the other, other father sitting at the center, and the, uh, and yeah, there are many, many Victorian things. I, I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of uh, women who were often depicted with bowls of fruit in their mouth yeah, yeah. uh, as uh, uh, food, food, food in their mouth. Yeah, yeah, like that they were producing producing children, right? And yeah. this was kind of considered the uh, female form in the, under the British Empire. And then after the revolution, they were often shown with uh, books in their laps. Uh, and, and it also reflected a demographic shift in which women were having fewer children mm -hmm. after the revolution. And so um, I'm wondering if there's, if, if, if you kind of piece together any kind of analogs to that, uh, if, if you see anything in India um, that might uh, uh, maybe be similar or different or. Oh, okay, I, 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 it's, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It has struck a new chord in me. I'll think about, I'll look into it. But what I particularly think is, think is that, uh, as uh, uh, my knowledge of Indian painting is not that extensive, but that there are uh, almost no paintings of women reading, particularly modern painters, beginning with Ravi Verma and others. This is particularly because of the fact that the level of literacy for women was very low. And women were not expected to see a reading in most cases, as I showed, women were read too. They would listen and they would not read. Okay, this is one of the differences, but nevertheless, thank you very much. I will start a new investigation on this line and to think about and to think about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know uh, particularly, uh, thank you very much again of the revolution, but then there are many Victorian um, uh, paintings of this kind where the father sits at the center and the family around mm -hmm. uh, the fireplace where the father reads out and the family listens to it. And that was also, this Victorian custom was also uh, uh, practiced in uh, India, particularly among the cultured men. But in lower or middle, middle class, uh, it's very difficult to make the differences of class. And then the, the women would be read too. They, were, they would not be expected to read because reading gives you an individuality, gives you a kind of independence which women were not allowed. Yes. Yeah. That, that is one of the paradoxes of 
Thank you very much. But it, 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 it uh, rather uh, uh, gives me more food for thought. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I particularly like the image of the watchman of the gates, the, the prince keeping women out yeah. uh, when they're not they're not allowed to 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 to, to learn, learn to read. Um, but but uh, but clearly, what what I think you you've shown very well is the whole kind of gender and class um, implications yeah. in learning to read, the attempt of patriarchal culture to repress reading because it gives women the potential independence. Yeah. But I thought, again, the, the exchange with the, with, with the, with the, the maidservant, uh, what sap do you find what in these What sap do you find in these scriptures? Yeah, it's very interesting. And that too, particularly in reading Marx, a landed a person belonging to the landed aristocracy is reading uh, is reading Marx because in Bengali there is a marriage day and then there is a gap and on the third day they they call it Shubhodatri or something like that on which the wife and the husband uh, goes there alone left alone so there is a celebration and so that is the contribution of the marriage uh, so. It's a different, different kind of thing. But then I'll tell you one thing if I have time. The, the greatest paradox is that uh, uh, Rabindranath Tagore himself did not pass out of school. He had hardly three or four years of schooling. Uh, he was self-learning. He established a school of his own, which is, and then transformed it into a university which became a uni in becoming university in 1924 and it is now one of the leading universities in India particularly for art and uh, painting and uh, music and dance and uh, and he invested all his Nobel Prize money in order to bring up that institution uh, so it, it's a greatest paradox that but Tagore himself was really a voracious reader and uh, frankly speaking, I, I, had the, I have the privilege because library is dispersed. Uh, there is very little of his reading, but I have read his correspondence, which is much of it, the bulk of it is unpublished. During the later years, even 1930s, which is, I was telling Chris, during the 1930s, Tegor's secretary would write to a person in London who did a um, uh, degree in a PhD in economics from London University, instead of a bookstore in London, would regularly, almost regularly, write to him to send books, and the bo those books would vary from Ayurveda to philosophy, to moral philosophy, to science, to literature, including the last points of Plates. So it's generally said, it's generally said that Tagore was not interested in yes. Tagore was interested in yes. He got an edition, but I have not been, because the library is dispersed, because there was a kind of division at the central library and uh, Tagore archive library. So, so I have not been able to um, find out that copy of them, but, but books were sent and, and Tagore had a very deep interest in, in yes. Another example of how writers don't need conventional education. Yeah, and 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 this is to give information to uh, others. And even today, in Tagore School, there are classrooms, but classes are held under trees. That's the teacher who sits on the dais or with the children. And then it rains, or when it's very cold, they go inside. The laboratories, they have to go into the room. But then it's like the Tapoban, the ancient Indian heritage, where the preceptor and the disciple they sit and they learn from the and the disciple learn from the. So it is the practice. I was telling uh, Chris this morning that uh, if if you if you have to think of environmentalism, you can read Tagore and you can understand what idea of environmentalism, uh, naturalism, uh, Tagore had in Tagore school. There were Teachers, food, teachers appointed for identifying birds to students, identifying trees to students, so that they could 
gets closer to nature. This this is environmentalism, and particularly if you also read Tagore's ideas of education, that will give you a very good uh, impression of what environmentalism today is and what it was. But you have to have that tradition, though, because any time I taught classes outdoors, the destruction levels. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, maybe we're saying that some uh, a lot of work has been done working with young children and saying they learn far more actually learning in the environment. Yeah. So I think actually we in the West are coming back to this and, and yeah. we have these acorn schools where they actually will teach the curriculum yeah. outside. Uh, we've been involved in a big project actually, uh, Lord Dufferin, the Viceroy of India in the 1890s, his, his descendant or, uh, is, is doing this up in Zanzibar on the estate. So and is very much inspired by the gore um, in, in, in how she's going about it. And particularly if you if you if you read uh, Martha Nussbaum, yeah, yeah, Martha Nussbaum has uh, not for profit that that book particularly not for profit. You you, you can look uh, have a look at this book, idea of education, environmentalism, learning in close association with nature. So she has her fifteen pages on Tagore, and she relates this uh, European style of education with Tagore's. Just to finish up, maybe, it's like you've been working very, very hard in the archives. If there was one thing that you would really single out as something that you didn't expect to find that has really just been the icing on the cake in terms of your time here in Ireland, what would it be, Shushanda? Is there anything in particular that has well, just been well, very well, special? Well, well, well I, I'll disappoint you a little. Uh, a little. Because everything. I found was <laughs> Iceland. Really? Because I really didn't expect that the Irish Times would have more than 300 entries, 300, more than 300 references to Rabindranath Tagore from 1932. Mm -hmm. And I didn't expect that the Irish statesman would contain so much about Tagore. You know, one, in one of the reviews of, on, a, on a book, uh, this uh, A.E. writes, he reviews the book, I found it last Saturday, he writes that if we had a Gandhi in Southern Ireland and if we had a Tagore in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you understand the nature of the eyes on the cake? I, I'm, I'm really, it's from my heart, it's from my heart, I thank the heart and the foundation and Jean and Nicholas Green for the opportunity they have given me. Uh, it's 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 really excellent. It's really excellent. It's it's it has been the greatest reward of my life. This is what I can say. Well, all we can say is we thank Sushendu for coming here and for. Giving... Mm.